Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today the question is, I'm not a gifted individual, but can God still use me? Thank you, Justin. That is a, a question that most people can resonate with, uh, a phrase that many people could repeat. I'm not gifted. I'm not necessarily very talented. I'm not really all that smart. Uh, I, I didn't make the dean's list in college, or I wasn't on the starting five in the high school basketball team. I didn't get straight A's. My GPA was not 4.0, and I'm not really good in athletics. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't even make the football team. I wasn't interested in it. I'm just a small little guy just trying to go about my business. I love God, but can he really use me? And can he use me in significant ways? Or does the fact that I'm not a celebrity, I'm not a pop star, I'm just a regular old plain Joe Blow, does that kind of put me in God's layaway and then in some other universe and some other lifetime I might be used? But in this lifetime, uh, I'm just going to be happy to sit on the shelf and do nothing. These are different ways of really expressing the minds of many, many people in God's kingdom, in God's church. Uh, especially in the days of celebrities and pop stars, they get the front page. Uh, they get the headlines. People are following them, looking to them. And most people uh, do not ever rise to that rank. And so it's easy to feel very inadequate, uh, very insufficient, very weak, very kind of very vanilla. You're not chocolate chip. You're just vanilla. And who likes vanilla? Well, actually, I like vanilla. But does God like vanilla? And so these are the questions I want to uh, ask and answer this morning. Uh, it may be one that you are asking, and this really applies to your kids as well. We all want our kids to succeed. We all want them to do well, but it may be that your child is no more than a C student, even though he or she tries really hard. Your child may be small, short, have ears that stick out, bony knees, and a body that doesn't look like it's going to end up in the front of Sports Illustrated or Mr. Physique or Miss Physique, if that's a magazine. Most people are that way, and their kids are that way. They're just ordinary people. Can God use me? Can God use my kids? And what do I say to my kids to give them hope and not to give up, especially when they compare themselves with so many other good-looking people, fast people, people who are really smart. They get the full ride to the University of Chicago or Florida State University or University of Florida. Very valid questions. We all feel those feelings. And when you look at the Scripture, I think if you will take a few minutes with me to do that, you'll be genuinely encouraged and surprised, just off the top of our head. Let's think of some people that God chose and use them greatly. Like, for example, who in the world in the family of Simon Peter would have guessed that this guy Peter, this fisherman, 
would actually be used by God to be the apostle to the Jewish people. When we look at his um, portrait in the Gospel of Mark, he's a jerk. He's full of himself. He always has better ideas than Jesus. I mean, the guy has the gall to tell Jesus he was wrong. He said no to Jesus when Jesus said that he had to go up to Jerusalem and be crucified. Now, would you ask him to be on your team? Normally, I'd say, you might as well stay home. I don't want you on my team. You're just sort of a rabble rouser. You're divisive. You're full of yourself. But yet, as we study the Gospel of Mark and see the portrait of Peter unfold chapter by chapter, we realize that Jesus was incredibly loyal to him, and he saw something in Peter that Peter didn't even see in himself. And I don't think the apostles saw it in him either. But at the end of the day, after he finally came to himself and realized what a jerk he was, how full of himself he was, he went out, he wept bitterly after he denied Jesus three times in front of a little servant girl, but he became a man that God greatly used, despite the inauspicious beginnings that Peter had. Then look at the case of Saul of Tarsus. I mean, are you serious? Here's a man who's the uh, public enemy number one of Christianity. He hates Christians, gets up nine to five to kill Christians. He is totally anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, anti-disciple, and anti-everything that has to do with the Savior. Who would have chosen him? But God chose Saul of Tarsus, who then became Paul the Apostle, in order to allow the gospel to have a shining light as its prime example, that Saul of Tarsus, an enemy, a persecutor, an instigator, obsessed with destroying Christianity, becomes an example of what the power of God's grace can do in a person's life. But I wonder if Paul's sister, living in Jerusalem uh, at the time, wondered, what is God doing choosing my brother to lead this Christ movement? But give God some time. Let him develop Saul. Let him become a champion of the gospel. And that's God's way. He loves to chose or choose, excuse me, the little guys, the little girls, the people who don't necessarily have all that much talent. And he glorifies himself. And that way, God gets all the glory, regardless of who gets the credit. So that's sort of a little brief journey of uh, the kind of people that God chooses. So they're usually they're the ones that we would never choose, but he surprises us because he sees down to the depths of our heart. And the, the word heart here is my leadoff batter uh, today in this particular game to go to a familiar story and to discover some encouragement for little people, uh, for little girls, for little boys, for little men and women who think, well, can God ever choose me? Can God ever use me? Uh, let me go to the book of 1 Samuel or 1 Samuel and real quick provide a background to the book. And it, it's pretty simple to understand. Um, 1 Samuel shows the rise of the prophet Samuel and the rise of Israel's first king named Saul, who is from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Saul is a head taller than everyone else. That's a key signal in the book of Samuel that bad things are going to happen. He's a big man. He's impressive. And these are the kinds of things that people look for when they want a king. They want a guy that's impressive. He's big. He's powerful. He's got military equipment. He's powerful in battle. I mean, he's a hero. He's a superstar. Those are the kinds of people that we generally look to to save our day, to save our skin, to be the man in front of our group 
to represent us, to be our captain, our general, our king, our hero. Well, as you know, in the book of Samuel, what happens is that while Samuel listens to the word of the Lord and becomes great in the sight of God and great in the sight of the people, the king named Saul begins to show his true colors. And he no longer listens to the voice of the Lord. And by the time we get to chapter 16, Saul has been rejected because he has refused to listen to the voice of God. That's one of the unifying themes of Scripture. One of the ways that we can tell who's genuine, a genuine child of God, is do they listen to the voice of God or do they, do they listen to other people's voices? Saul listened to the people rather than to listen to the voice of the prophet Samuel who represented God and God rejected him. So when we move our mental vehicle into the driveway of 1 Samuel 16, God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem. Not because it's Christmas. He's telling Samuel the prophet to go to the house of Jesse, which is located in Bethlehem. Because, God said, there in, in the home of Jesse are a number of young men, sons to Jesse, and one of them, one of them will become the next king, God's choice to be the king of Israel. So you know the story well. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and to the house of Jesse and tells Jesse, you know, what's going on, what he has to do. So dad, dad Jesse, knowing that one of his sons is going to be the anointed king of Israel, he does something very predictable. What does he do? He gets all the older guys, all the older brothers, the big guys, the guys who are tall and big and husky. In fact, the three of the older brothers are military veterans. So that's a normal thing. So he has all the boys stand up in a line in his home. And Samuel walks in. <clears throat> and when the oldest took his place at the head of the line, inside the prophet Samuel are these thoughts like, Surely! This is the anointed of the Lord. And he thought for sure that it would be the biggest guy, the fastest guy, the man who was in the army, the, the, the military veteran with experience. He'd be great to be a king. And the Lord said, no, I've rejected him. Huh? <laughs> that that kind of does not meet our expectations. We think, well, surely God must be wrong. Look at Eliab. He's the big guy. No, uh-uh. Then number two, brother, and then number three, brother, and all the way down to the end. And so far, God keeps saying, no, 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 no. This shows us that when uh, there was a choice for the king, the father thought for sure it was the older brothers that would be chosen. But he left one out in the field because he didn't think that the little guy out in the field, in fact, the youngest, would even be up for consideration. So Samuel says, do you have anybody else? He said, yeah, but he's out in the field. He's just tending the sheep. In other words, he doesn't even belong here. <laughs> so Samuel says, bring him in. Bring him in. So uh, they sent someone out to take care, uh, or they sent someone out to get David, the little shepherd boy. And um, the story is unfolded here when he says there is still the youngest one but right now he's tending the sheep send for him we won't focus our attention on 
to other things until he gets there. So he sent forth for him. He was ruddy with attractive eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, here's the surprise of the story. Go, anoint him. This is the one. So he took the horn full of olive oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Ha ha. In the presence of his brothers, that's going to come into play in the next story. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. And then Samuel sent out and went to Ramah. Now, I went forward and rolled the story forward to the anointing itself. Now I want to put our mental vehicle back into reverse and go back to the key, the key story, or the key verse in this story. When... Um, the oldest brother, Eliab, came in. Samuel saw him and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is standing here before him. And the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or his height, because I have rejected him. People do not see what the Lord sees, because humans, people, look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So why did God overlook the big guys in the story? Because God knew their hearts. And why did God choose the little guy in the story? The guy that wasn't even under consideration by his own dad. God chose him because he knew David's heart. His dad knew his heart. After all, he trusted his sheep with his youngest son. He knew that David was a man of exemplary character, faithful to take care of the sheep. But he didn't think that those qualities were what God wanted in a king. And how wrong the father was and how wrong Samuel was. Both his dad and Samuel looked at a man's outward appearance. They looked at how big they were, how much experience they had, and they forgot to look at the most important thing. Many people have heard this verse. Uh, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. But in context, it explains to us why God can use you and me and all the little people in the world, the little girls and the little boys, the slow ones, the ones who don't have the highest IQ, the ones who are not the military veterans and who are the best heroes, not the ones who are always in the starting five or the starting halfback on the football team or the best looking cheerleader, even the one who did not make valedictorian or salutatorian and make 4.0, God instead looks at the heart. And he saw David's heart and he said, that's the man that I want to be ruler over my people. So God chose the little guy rather than the big guys to be the leader. And God may do the same for your son, your daughter, even though they may be small, and invisible to everyone else, have very few friends, very untalented, maybe slow, a C student. The bigger question on the floor is, what's the condition of their heart? Are they humble? Are they kind? Are they gracious? Do they have a heart for God? Do they have a heart for people? Are they capable of taking care of other people because of their, the fortitude of their character, because of their honesty, and their love for people. Those are the qualities that God sees and values and wants to see in his leaders. 
And David is a great classic example of God overlooking the big guys, the fast guys, the popular guys, the guys who win all the awards. God bypassed all of them, and he went to the very bottom. You know what? He went to the runt of the litter. <laughs> and so David's father overlooked him, but not David's God. Now, that verse, chapter 16, verse 7, that verse is the key that opens the door to the story of David and Goliath, which we will do on another episode in the very next chapter. The next chapter answers the question, why did God choose David? And we see David in action against someone that was very impressive in terms of his outward appearance. He has all that's going for him in the eyes of people. He's huge, over nine feet tall. His weapons are so intimidating, as we will see in another episode. And he's a man of great military experience. Surely, people thought, he is the champion. Surely he will win the battle. And that's where we go back to chapter 16, verse 7, the key that opens the door to the story to realize, no, God is not impressed with size, he's not impressed with experience, and he's not impressed with the size of your weapons, how heavy your spear is, how big your shield is, how heavy the point of your spear is, those things do not matter. There are far more important things that matter in the eyes of God. We'll move in the direction of that story at another episode, but it suffice to say that when we read Bible stories, such as the one with David being anointed, and then the next story shows him fighting Goliath. When we read Bible stories, we can't read them in isolation. We misinterpret them. Uh, the misinterpretation of David and Goliath is something I've heard all my life because people have not realized that these two chapters hang together and depend on one another for their interpretation. So thanks for listening to this particular episode. Let me end where we began. Who does God use? What sort of qualities does God use in his vineyard, in his church, in his kingdom? Do I have to be the best person, the, the fastest person, the smartest individual, the best looking one, the one with the best grades and all the blue ribbons and all the trophies? And the answer is no, David had none of them. He wasn't big, he wasn't fast, he was the smallest, he was overlooked by his dad, overlooked by the church leader, the prophet Samuel. No one had any clue that this guy taking care of sheep in the back 40 was the man that God chose. That same sort of approach is still being applied today. God doesn't look for the big guy. He looks for the guy's heart. And when he looks at a man's heart, a woman's heart, a girl's heart, a boy's heart, that what he, that's what he considers the most important. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.